chapter 12. And tonight, after a few months, we're going to finish and conclude our series from ruins to restoration in the book of Nehemiah. We're in the book of Nehemiah now concluding. And if you like taking notes, write the title of the message for tonight, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. The title of tonight's message is Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now we are finishing this book, and we have now learned that Nehemiah is a man that depended on prayer. He's a man that that discerned and recognized the attacks of the enemy, a man that was determined to obey in spite of opposition. And notice this, Nehemiah did the work for the glory of God. What a blessing it is to know that when a work is done, not for man's glory, but for the glory of God. And tonight we get to come to the 12th chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and also to a place of self-examination. I want you to know that as we come to communion tonight, we're coming to the place of self-examination. And the people here in Nehemiah, they're moving back into Jerusalem They've set boundaries on Christian principles and biblical principles now as the Holy Spirit is leading them, as the Word of God is leading them. And notice this, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is to set boundaries so that we live a life that pleases God. And now they're making things right so they can move back into Jerusalem. They're making commitments to live after biblical convictions and to not neglect the house of God. So we've reached this point now, and we know that they came for three different reasons here in chapter 12 and in chapter 13 to gather together. They came, number one, to dedicate. They came to celebrate, but they also came to consecrate. They came to dedicate, they came to celebrate, and they also came to consecrate, to consecrate themselves. The walls were completed. Now, how do we move forward? The physical is completed, but what about the spiritual? The outward is raised up, but what about the inward? And we see here in the 12th chapter of the book of Nehemiah that it lists from verses 1 all the way to verse 26 the names of the priests and the Levites that were also moving back into Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And the priests would teach the word and serve in the house of God, and the Levites were as the worship leaders. So we see here all their names from verses 1 to verses 26 now in the 12th chapter. Why is it that we see the names listed here? Because we know that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to tell us and teach us that names are important. (laughs) Names are important and that God is not only concerned about crowds, but he also is concerned, notice this, about individuals. And here the Levites and the priests led with two things with songs of thanksgiving. Would you write that down in your Bible? They were leading with songs of thanksgiving. And it said that not only they led with songs of thanksgiving, but they were joyful, they were serving right there where God had placed them. And notice this, they were satisfied in the will of God. Are you satisfied tonight in the will of God that you can now lead a life with songs of joy and songs of thanksgiving? (laughs) We're going to look at key verses tonight in the 12th chapter as we move forward to conclude this book. And 
We're going to look and or draw our attention to verse 27. After mentioning the names here, Nehemiah now says this in Nehemiah 12, verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication, circle the word dedication, with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singings and with cymbals and with string instruments and with harps. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book that has taught us what it means to rebuild the right way. It's not only about if we are rebuilding, but it's about how we're rebuilding. And I pray, Lord, that we would rebuild from the inside out as well. Rebuild where it matters the most, in the spiritual, in the inner. But Lord, as the people came to dedicate, to celebrate, and to consecrate, we the people of Calvary Downey tonight come to dedicate, to celebrate, and to consecrate. Speak to us now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said, amen. Now we said at the dedication of the wall, there was joy at the wall, and they were dedicating the wall. Now notice there, the dedication is important. Because they were dedicating the wall, notice this, for God's special use. They were dedicating the wall for the glory of God. In fact, what they do here as they dedicate the wall and they're bringing the Levites and the priests is that they're putting the wall under God's protection. Because unless God protected their wall, their walls were built in vain. Now I want you to notice that the dedication is important in our lives. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how many people you have, the resources that you occupy, unless the Lord builds it, you're building in vain. In Psalms 127 verse 1, the psalmist says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Nehemiah understood that from beginning to end, this had to be a work of God. And he dedicates it over to the Lord. He doesn't hold on to it. Notice this. It's not Nehemiah's wall. It's God's wall. It's not a person's church. It's God's church. It's not your own ministry. It's God's ministry now. And we're seeing here a proper dedication that is led or ushered in through worship. You know what worship really is? Worship is taking us into the very presence of God now. So they're seeking the temple servants, and they call the Levites to help with the worship and the procession now of these Thanksgiving choirs that we're going to see in chapter 12. But it says here in verse 27 that they called them or they sought out the Levites, the worship leaders, and they put them in all their places and to bring them to Jerusalem or to lead the way into Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication, notice with what? With gladness, which is joy, both with thanksgivings and singing and with cymbals and string instruments, and harps, with gladness. Now we notice this, that they didn't have much at this time in Jerusalem. But what they did have is joy. <laughs> they didn't have much, but they learned what it means to lead with joy. And I want you to know this, when it says gladness, it's speaking about a joy. Joy that is a choice. Joy is not just a simply an emotion, joy is a choice. And we'll always forfeit, notice, the blessing of joy 
when we choose to put our eyes on circumstances and not on Jesus. And this is exactly why we have to keep our eyes on the Lord, not on circumstances, so where he calls us to serve, we can serve with joy. Are you serving with joy today? We need joy as we serve the Lord. Why? Because nobody wants to follow a leader who's always mad, who's tired, or, who, or who's upset. And these leaders, these Levites, are leading with joy, and they're dedicating the wall to the Lord. Now, notice this. What is the value of a dedicated wall without dedicated people? <laughs> what is the value of a strong city or strong walls with weak people? What is the value of dedicating the wall if the people inside the city are not dedicated? And we're going to see here that Nehemiah is asking for a dedication of the people as well. I'm going to ask you tonight, are you dedicated when it comes to holiness? Are you dedicated when it comes to purity, when it comes to obedience? How does your dedication look in that area? Because as he calls the Levites and the priests, notice how he tells them to serve in verse 30 now as we look at key verses. He says, then the priests and the Levites purify themselves. A word that we have to understand and look to and study, purify themselves and purify the people, the gates and the wall. What are they doing as they're getting ready now to lead them into worship, into songs, to lead the way to Jerusalem? As they make their way around the walls and stand before the temple of the Lord in this dedication, in this ceremony, in this celebration, they start with one thing, purifying themselves. Purifying themselves. Why? Because you can't lead anyone to a place you've never been. We need purity in our lives. They're purifying themselves. They're purifying the people. They're purifying the place. Why? Because in order to have purity in the house of God, you need purity in the leadership. Purity in the leaders. And oftentimes we look to the church and we look at generally how the state of the church is when we look, should look to the leadership. Because here when Nehemiah says worship leaders, worship ministry priests, understand there should be no sin in the camp. There should be holiness now. And they did this first because they could not effectively lead the people in the worship of God. Notice this, unless they worked in the purity and walking in holiness before the Lord. What do we know that scripture tells, tells us that without holiness, we can't worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And here, they were purifying themselves. How does that look like for us today? The purification process or the sanctification process. The purification process and sanctification begins when you and I confess our sin before God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, what does purity look like? It looks like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Coming to the foot of the cross is the beginning of purity. Because we come in confession, we come in repentance. It's been said before that the first step to a happy countenance is a clean heart. <laughs> the first step to a happy countenance is a clean heart. You want to know what your first ministry today is? Oftentimes we miss interpret what our first ministry is. Your first ministry, understand this, as a man and woman of God, your first ministry is holiness. Because you can't lead someone if you haven't purified yourself. In order to lead someone in a godly manner, you have to live a godly life. 
And here Nehemiah is saying, make sure you're in a godly manner and living in a godly life so that we can lead these people. So now what happens here from verses 31 to verses 43, we see and learn of two Thanksgiving choirs. And one goes southward, leading the way, and another goes northward, leading the ways. But they're called Thanksgiving choirs. Notice in verse 40 now, it says, So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, likewise I and all half of the rulers with me. Why are they called Thanksgiving choirs? Because they sang songs of Thanksgiving. (laughs) They were walking around the city and marching in celebration, the Levites and the priests, after the walls were restored and built up, and they were standing at the house of God now, but they were singing songs of thanksgiving. Notice this, for praise to be real, it has to have the element of thanksgiving. When we say praise, it must have the element of thanksgiving. In fact, praise is the outward expression of an inward heart of gratitude. Of an inward heart of gratitude. So when your heart is filled with gratitude, your lips will be filled with praise. How many of us know that when we're in seasons of gratitude before the Lord, guess what happens from our heart? Out of our lips flow praise. And here they are coming with these two Thanksgiving choirs now making and rejoicing in what the Lord is doing. And in fact, verse 43 tells us this. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoice for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Where did the joy come from? From the Lord. Because of the work that God had done, God made them rejoice. God gave them a joy now. But not only were they rejoicing, also the women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar off. Now I want you to notice something in verse 43, because it says not only that they, they rejoice, but also the women and the children also rejoice. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is a contagious joy. And others heard from afar off. They were rejoicing. Notice this, because they were satisfied in the will of God. Are you satisfied in the will of God tonight that you can rejoice? Are you satisfied in the presence of God? Or is there something more that you want than being in the will of God? What is it that you desire? The people here were rejoicing. The children were rejoicing. The women were rejoicing. Why? Because they were in the will of God. Do you remember the psalmist, as he said, David, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What was David saying? Oh, Lord, you show me the path that I should be going. In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, they are filled with joy from being in the presence. But now they go from gratitude, notice this, to generosity. You know that gratitude always will lead us to generosity? And from verses 44 here to verse 47, we notice that now Nehemiah assigns those to oversee the temple responsibilities and the leadership. The oversight of the rooms now to receive the offerings, to receive the tithings in the house of God as they arrive now with sounds of celebration, with songs of thanksgiving. And now he arrives and he sets the leadership. And from verses 45 to 46, you see here now that people respond now and start to provide 
and to give for the needs of the temple. So what is happening here in chapter 12? That they're yielding all to God, but they're taking everything as well to God. And all of these people have one thing in common right now. They're seeking now the will of the Lord. What is it that we're seeking tonight as we come to communion? We're seeking holiness. We're seeking to remember what Christ did on the cross for us and how we can come into his presence because of the grace of God and the blood that covers us of all of our sins and forgives us. But now in Nehemiah chapter 13, we see that something happens because they have this celebration. They come now with songs of thanksgiving and it says in verse one of chapter 13, and on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. What happened here? They arrived, they're singing, but they read the book of the law. It was worship preparing the heart for the word of God. <laughs> That's why when we come to church, understand this. The worship is not a time for you to come in and, and maybe take your kids to the children's ministry and still make it in time for the message. The worship is a procession that takes us to the reading of the word of God. It's a very important time. The, the part of worship is the place where we prepare our hearts so that God can speak to us. Notice their hearts were prepared to receive. And notice what they heard. They, they ought to separate themselves, notice here, in obedience from the mixed multitude. Now, what is a mixed multitude? I want you to know this. A mixed multitude is composed now of unsafe people who want to belong a part of the fellowship, who want to belong a part of maybe even the church of God's people, but without the obligations of trusting God or submitting to his will. <laughs> Just notice that there are often times that there is a mixed multitude or a mixed attitude. Well, yes, I want the blessings, but I don't want to trust God. Yes, I want the blessings, but I don't want to submit to the will of God. They wanted the blessings, but not the obligations, because this mixed multitude had an appetite still for the things of the world. And here the Lord had told the nation of Israel, do not let the Ammonite or the Moabite come into the people and gather and assemble with you all. Don't marry with them. Do not take their daughters. Do not give over your sons to be married to their daughters. Why? Because when you came out of Egypt, you went and you sought for bread and you sought for water and notice what happened. They rejected you and they did not receive you. In fact, not only that, but they hired now Balaam to curse them, but God turned, notice this, the curse into a blessing. God defended his people. So he's saying, don't receive this mixed multitude of people that want to belong, but don't want to submit. <laughs> Isn't that exactly sometimes how our attitude is? We want to belong, but we don't want to submit. We want the blessing, but we don't want the cross. <laughs> we want to come to the cross, but we don't want to go through the cross. We don't want to carry the cross. And this mixed multitude was a people that did not want to submit to the Lord. So the word of God told them that they ought to separate. And notice here, verse 3. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. They excluded themselves from those that weren't submitting to the Lord. What is it? They received the word of God and they obeyed the word of God because this fellowship wasn't honoring the Lord. 
Think about how oftentimes we allow a fellowship into our lives that doesn't honor God. And you start to become affiliated with the world. And what it does, it waters down your loyalty to God. How does the character look in your life? You know what it's based on? It's based also about who you affiliate with. How does the gathering, how does the fellowship look like? What happens here is that they excluded themselves. They separated themselves from this mixed multitude. And we see here in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4, that Nehemiah now from Jerusalem, notice this, he was serving in the palace of the king now in Babylon as the king's cupbearer this whole entire time. But he takes a leave of absence now. He goes back now to serve as the king's cupbearer in the palace, or he goes back now. And he takes the leave of absence, but by the time that he returned, he found that the people had backslidden quickly. <laughs> you notice that the strength of a leader, notice this, is not only in their presence, but the strength of a leader is also known in their absence. What happens when the leader is not there? That shows how strong the leader is. Or who he put in charge. And this year was the real test of revival, the real test that God is working in their life. Notice this. The real test of revival is not overnight. The real test of revival is long-term. Will this last? Or is it just an emotion? It's seeing where you and I are after many years, after the season of great work. Where are we really? Because the walls were strong here in chapter 13, but the spiritual walls now of separation from sin were crumbling. Notice what happened here in chapter 13, the final chapter. The separation was incomplete. It was incomplete. And I wonder if any of us here have a separation that's incomplete, that's, that's not whole. Because the people here had backslidden. You know, it's very easy to backslide. In fact, you know what you have to do in order to backslide? Nothing. Nothing. You do absolutely nothing and you will backslide. That's why for us, it's so important as believers to pursue and to guard the holiness in our lives. And Nehemiah comes back now and discovers the evil that's taking place. Not outside of the walls, not even in the city. You notice where the evil was? In the house of God. And notice this, for us to get right with God, notice what has to happen. Judgment comes to the house of God. Because they had allowed the works of the flesh into the temple. But Nehemiah is a man of convictions. Nehemiah is a man that because of his convictions, notice what a person of convictions will always do is confront sin. Are you willing, are you ready to confront sin? Are you a people pleaser? A people pleaser is never going to confront sin. Because you're more concerned about who you're going to offend, whether whether or not you're going to please God. And Nehemiah was a leader that he wanted to please God. So in verse 14, notice what happens. Now before this, this is what he discovers as he, upon his return now, that Eliashab, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Here's the problem. That the leader, the priest now, having authority, the wrong person was in authority. You know what happens when the wrong person is in authority, you have weak leadership. When the wrong person doesn't have a spiritual mentality for leadership, he allows something or someone in that doesn't belong. 
Because here he was allied or he became friends and started to welcome and, co- and be comfortable with Tobiah in the storerooms of the temple. Now, do you remember who Tobiah was? Tobiah was he who was also with Samdala that was discouraging Nehemiah throughout the work. He was opposing the work of God. Tobiah is a representation in the book of Nehemiah of the works of the flesh or of the enemy coming in to stop the work of God. Do you know that every time that you put your hand to something that God wants to do, there are going to be Tobias and Sambalats that are wanting to stop the work that God is doing? And here what this priest did, he made the great mistake. He made the dangerous mistake of knowing one thing, of allying himself with the wrong people. When you ally yourself with the wrong people, you know what it is? It not only is very dangerous, but it's destructive to your spiritual walk. And then soon after, you allow things to come into your life and you begin to regress spiritually because this is what happens. And he prepared for him or he welcomed him in a large room where previously, before, they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles of tithes and the grain, the new wine and the oil which were commanded to be given to the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. He allied himself, not only that, but he received him now and he allowed the wrong people inside. Have we allowed the wrong people inside? (laughs) In fact, where was this storeroom? This storeroom was used previously for the articles and the instruments that the priests and the Levites would use to minister to God's people. But because the priest allied himself with the enemy, he was letting now the works of the flesh now, or Tobiah now, into the house now, and notice what happens. You let now the wrong person into the house. You begin to compromise. And the enemy was occupying the place where the tools and the vessels and the articles and the place of the work of God needed to take place. So that room that was once used for the Lord now is now being used for the works of the flesh. Just think about it like this in your life, that that life, that time, that space that was once used for the Lord is now being used for the enemy. And so easily that happens when we start to open ourselves up to relationships, to friendships, and ally ourselves to things that God doesn't want us to be a part of. Because here Tobiah came and noticed the priest, what he did, the mistake was into receiving him, into opening up the storerooms to the wrong person. In verse 7, it says this, verse 6, it says this, But during all of this, I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year of Xerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained a leave from the king. I wasn't there. I left. And because I left now, notice this, something took place, a backsliding took place that they had allowed the enemy to come into the room. You know what happens when you make room now for the enemy? The enemy will come in. But when you say, you know what, the enemy, the works of the flesh can no longer come in, you know who occupies that space? The Holy Spirit will fill it. Are we ready to let the Holy Spirit live our lives? You know, oftentimes the reason why the Holy Spirit is not living or is not filling your life, and we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, fill my life, is oftentimes because we're already filled with something else. And we tell the Lord, Lord, fill me with your spirit, but he can't fill you if you're already filled with yourself. You know, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, empty me. Empty me of anything that doesn't please you. Empty me that doesn't, from anything that doesn't honor you. But the room in the house of God was filled with a Tobiah. 
someone that was there that was hindering the work of God. Just ask yourself right now, is there anything right now in my life that is hindering the work of God? Because you know what Nehemiah does? He doesn't accept it. He doesn't allow that. He doesn't allow anyone to come in to hinder the work of God because it says that he came and it says here in verse 7, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashev had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Why have you done this evil? Why have you allowed Tobiah, who is resisting the work of the Spirit now, into the house of God? He must be removed now. And it said, and it grieved me bitterly. It upset him. Therefore, I threw out. Notice this. He didn't, and notice this. It didn't say, I went and asked for permission. <laughs> he came in and he cleaned up house. There are often times that we want to do ministry and it's done in the flesh. And we say, well, we don't want to offend anyone. So let's make sure that we don't offend anyone as we pursue holiness. But Nehemiah said, I'm going to do this without apology. <laughs> it said that he came and he, he was upset. He had a righteous anger. I want you to write that down, a righteous anger. Because a lot of us like to get mad, but do you get mad about the right things? Do you become upset about the things that upset God? Do you become upset about the things that upset God? You know what Nehemiah is teaching us here in verse 8? To not tolerate sin. That sin no longer is a master over your life. To purify the room now so that you cannot no longer fellowship with that that doesn't honor the Lord. Why? Because you can't fellowship with God if you're allowing the enemy into your life. You can't receive the presence of God and also welcome the works of the flesh at the same time. So in verse 9, it tells us this, that it grieved them bitterly. I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. I came home and he said to the, to, and I saw now in Jerusalem the temple and whatever was in the house that didn't honor God, I threw it out. <laughs> Think about maybe tonight you have to go home and whatever doesn't honor the Lord there, you have to take out. In the mind, whatever doesn't honor the Lord, you have to say, Lord, remove this. In the heart, whatever doesn't honor and is stopping and hindering the work of God, that you would be now with a righteous anger and say, Lord, I no longer want to accept this. I'm throwing this out. I'm bold about dealing and taking a stand against sin. But not only does he do that, not only does he make room, notice what he does in verse 9. He restores now. And I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, clean out the rooms now. And I brought back into the articles of the house of God, which was the grain offering and the frankincense. Not only did I clean the house, but I also now replaced or brought back and restored those articles that were there for their intended purposes. Now, what, what did he do? Ministry can now take place. Why, why could ministry take place the right way? Because Nehemiah dealt with the sin. The ministry that God wants to do in your life will never be able to take place if you don't deal with the sin. And oftentimes we want to compromise and say, well, Lord, I want to serve you and walk in the spirit, but entertain the flesh at the same time. Entertain the flesh. And that's not the way it works. Nehemiah steps into the gap. He rises to the occasion. And what God commanded, he obeyed. You know what he was? He was sold out on obedience. Oftentimes what happens, even in our lives, even in our world of culture, is that we want to be neutral when it comes to obedience. You can't be neutral when it comes to obedience. You're either obeying God today or you're disobeying God. And once you know what he wants you to do, it's, it's all about one word. It's about obedience after that. 
Because if you don't obey, you're resisting what the Spirit wants to do. And we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, we don't want to stand in the way. God's word was there to show them what they ought to do. I, I love what was said, what Pastor Jeff said on Sunday morning. God's word is not to manipulate, but God's word is to communicate. <laughs> if God's word is to communicate, then you know what we should do as his people? Listen. Listen and obey what God is saying. Nehemiah didn't need permission. He didn't need the approval of people. You know what we seek oftentimes, why we get in trouble? Because we desire approval instead of obedience. What is it that you want right now? Do you want approval or do you want obedience? Do you want to be right with God? Are you upset about the things that upset the Lord? Notice this. It says a lot about your character and what makes you upset, what really bothers you. And oftentimes, these things, these compromises don't bother us. We allow them to come into our lives. But he comes here, he cleans out the house because leadership, notice this, it's not a popularity contest. <laughs> this is part of the leadership package to know what it's like to deal with sin. In verse 10, it says this, and I also realize, this is what he does, Nehemiah, that the portions of the Levites have not been given to them, that they promised that they would give to the Levites for their daily needs, but they didn't do it. These were promises that were never performed. These were broken promises. It says here now, for the Levites had not been given to them for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back into the field. The Levites could not be supported or they were not being supported by the people. So the Levites had to stop doing the ministry and go work now in the fields and no longer was the work in the house of God and the worship services taking place. Nehemiah comes in, realizes this. It says, so verse 11, so I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Why is it that you're neglecting the house of God? He said, he gathered them. and said, and I gathered them together and I set them in their place. <laughs> Some of us need to be set in our place. You know what our place is? It's in the house of God. What is Nehemiah doing here as a man that's standing for convictions? You know what he's doing? He's setting order in the house of God. Order. You know what happens? Why, why sometimes we don't have order? Because we also don't have holiness. You cannot have order in the house of God without obedience. And this is exactly what he's doing. He's setting order in the house of God. Now notice what happens here in verse 11 because it shows that their lack of giving was also their lack of spiritual life. They were forsaking the house of God. They were declining spiritually. Now in the first place, usually that it shows a spiritual decline. You want to know the first place it shows that you have a spiritual decline? When you stop giving when you stop giving, because you're holding back from what belongs to God. When you stop giving. And it says here now that as he came and these changes that were taking place, that he was coming and he was bringing the conviction that came from the word of God. It said, verse 12, then all of Judah, after he contended with them, he confronted them, it said. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and oil to the storehouses. So another group, was awakened to the need of generosity now. Now he appointed the treasures over the storehouses. He reappointed people. Shalemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and the Levite, Padiah, next to them was Hannah, the son of Zuccor, the son of Methaniah, for they were considered, notice why they appointed them, and underline this in your Bible, 
where they were considered faithful and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Why were they appointed? Notice here, because they were faithful. Oftentimes, we want to be appointed to something, but how does your faithfulness look? Nehemiah came back and says, I want to appoint faithful leaders. And this was their reputation, faithfulness. He appointed them because they were faithful to distribute now to the needs. They were trustworthy for a greater capacity now. What was their reputation? Faithfulness. Why, do, why does your reputation matter? Notice this. Why does your testimony matter? Because your testimony is how you reflect and how you represent Christ in public. He's saying these are faithful people. So I can appoint them now over this business. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul tells the church, moreover, it is required. It's not suggested. It's not an opinion, but it is required that stewards or servants be found, notice this, faithful. Not even gifted, but faithful first. So Nehemiah appoints these faithful men, and then he prays this prayer, verse 14, remember me. Now he's going to pray this prayer three times. And he says, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Lord, remember me. And don't forget the good things that I've done to protect your house, Lord. Oh, I faithfully serve, Lord, your house and its services. Protect your house, O God. And notice what he's saying here. And protect me. <laughs> Remember me, Lord. But now he also realizes something else happens. In verse 15, not only did they allow Tobiah in, the works of the flesh, into the storerooms of the house of God. They stopped giving as well, but also they were working on the Sabbath. It says, in those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, and figs and all kinds of burden which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them. Notice, there's a warning here. What are you doing making business on the Sabbath? This was one of the promises in the earlier chapter that Nehemiah told them. They, they ought to not do business on the Sabbath, but observe it as a holy day for the Lord. But then he notices now that something is happening as they're motivated with greed. That they go back and they start to work on the Sabbath, said, and they warn them about the day in which they were selling provisions. I said, stop doing it on this day. This day is to be holy. But what happened? These people, the root of the problem was their priorities. That they had an opportunity now to gain, and instead of pleasing God, they wanted to please themselves. So they said, if I can buy or sell or I can get a good deal now or spend money, that became more important to them now than worshiping God. This is so important, even for us today, that oftentimes we don't prioritize what it means to come to the house of God and worship. That we leave it as a secondary matter. They cared more about their material wealth than their spiritual wealth. And notice in verse 16, men of Tyro dwelt there also, who brought in fish and of all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah. Notice what Nehemiah does. He confronted them again and said to them, what evil is this thing that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? What is it that you're doing right here? <laughs> that on a day of holiness, you're allowing sin, you're allowing now business to take place as if this day is not reserved for worship. So he contends with them as well. 
It said, verse 18, did not your fathers do, do thus and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city, yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? Why is it that you're not learning from the past? It's so sad when the church has to go through the discipline and the judgment of the Lord, and then we repeat the matter again. Because we're desiring to follow the work of the flesh. And notice, why has it, haven't you learned? So it was, verse 19, at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, notice what Nehemiah does, is he takes action, that I commanded the gates to be shut. He said, don't open the gates now on the Sabbath. Don't let anyone come in. If they're going to want to do business, those from the outside, do not let them in. Because they're going to, going to come in and to distract the people. So don't allow distractions to come in and to take them away from the house of God. And I charge that they must not be open until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gate so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. He told them, close the gates. He put guards to protect the city now. He commanded them now to be forced now to compliance and holiness now. But in verse 20, it says this, now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. What happens here? He closes the gates, but people are outside waiting in the gates. <clears throat> They're waiting to come in. <clears throat> and what Nehemiah does is that he warns them. He says, why are you spending now the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. He says, hey, what are you doing hanging out here? <laughs> I already closed the gate for a reason. Stop trying to come in. He cleansed the temple but notice he also needed to cleanse the people because the people were compromising. And this is that I commanded now the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me the second time he prays this. Oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to your greatness of your mercy. But remember me for doing this, for standing for truth. Remember me for standing for righteousness. He finally sees one other thing we're going to see as we conclude now chapter 13. In those days, I also saw the Jews who were married to women of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. He saw those that were marrying to relationships and people that were now worshiping pagan idols. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. In verse 24, it says that they intermarried now mixed marriages, and the children now of those marriages were speaking foreign languages. What was the problem with this? Is that they spoke foreign languages and they could not speak the language now of their own people. They didn't know the language or the Hebrew language, which was the Hebrew of, now the, the language of scripture now, which means that their children didn't know what it was to read even scripture. You see what happens here when we allow the sin to come into our house, into our homes? That it affects, you know what it affects? It affects the children. It affects the children. Do we have a heart for the children? Because as a parent, it doesn't matter not only what you do. Notice this, the, the sin that takes place in your life also affects the people around you. How do the children look? Because it says here now that they could not speak the language of Judah. They couldn't speak the Hebrew language. They could not be taught and listened in the word of God. So I contended with him and cursed them. Notice what he does here. 
He wasn't nice about it. In verse 25, it says, I contended with them and I cursed them and I struck some of them and pulled out the hair and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters or wives or sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Now, this wasn't Nehemiah in his best day. <laughs> it said that he came out, he started to now to strike and to pull beard and to say, you know what? You never are to give your sons or your daughters to be mixed in marriages because it's affecting the home and the children. And they don't know how to understand the Hebrew language. They don't know how to understand the word of God. They were acting, notice this, unfaithful. Unfaithful. So it said here, verse 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Wasn't it Solomon the most wisest man? Didn't he fall because he now of women that were worshiping pagan gods? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Know that. Even the most wisest person was caused to sin by allowing someone to come into his life that worshipped another god. You see why relationships are so important? That no one is exempt from this? No one is above this? It says, should we, verse 27, then hear of your doings in this great evil and this transgression against our God by marrying pagan women? Why? What are you doing? Why is it that you're looking for satisfaction out of the will of God? Why is it that you're looking for fulfillment outside of God's perfect will? There's a difference between God's perfect will and the permissible will of God. You know what God's perfect will is? is you walking in obedience and waiting on him. And notice what happens here now as it says this, that they didn't want to obey. It says, should we then hear of your doings of this great evil transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Eliashab, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. I said, I don't want that person near me. Why did he now create space between him and this person? Because this priest was not and did not have strong convictions for truth. He was easily wavering. He was easily receiving now to buy up. Thus I cleansed them of everything pagan, verse 30. And I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, in verse 31, and to bringing the wood of the offering of the firstfruits at the appointed time, Notice how this ends, this book here. Remember me, oh my God, for this good. What was he asking the Lord? Lord, remember me. He wasn't asking now for a man to remember him. He wanted to be remembered by God. There are times in our lives where we want to remember, be remembered by man, so we allow compromise in. We allow pleasure in. We allow status in. But here Nehemiah said, Lord, you remember me. I'm only concerned if one person remembers me, and that's the Lord. He wanted to be remembered by God and not by man. And he cleansed now the temple of anything that was worldly, of anything that was secular. I wonder if tonight we have to cleanse our lives of anything that's worldly or anything that's secular. So that we can say, Lord, remember me for the good that I have done. Look to me with favor. This is the third time that he prayed this. And notice how this book starts. This, this book here begins, the ministry of Nehemiah begins and ends with prayer. 
We see this very vividly. That it was the grace of God that they needed. It wasn't these promises that they had made in the previous chapter that they all broke. No, that, that made them right with God. It was one thing. It was the grace of God that continued to cover his people and that covers us even tonight. So even as the worship team comes forward right now, we need to ask ourselves, is there anything that is hindering the work of the Spirit in our lives? If there's anyone that is hindering the work of the Spirit in our lives. Because God is not pleased when we allow Tobias into our life. God is not pleased when we allow sin into our life and we start to compromise. When we're more concerned about being approved by man than obeying the Lord. You know, we're going to take communion, but this is a time of self-examination. The Bible tells us, and Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians, that we ought not to take of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. What does this mean? That if we're going to take of the Lord's table, it is for the Christian, it is for the believer, it's not for the unbeliever, it's for that person that is walking right with the Lord. Because when you partake of communion, it says that you are now bringing the judgment of God upon you in taking the table of communion with the wrong heart. You know what that means? That you cannot belong to the table of communion and also belong to the table of the world. You could only belong to one table. Are you participating in a table that doesn't honor God? And I want to pray right now because we want to examine ourselves before we take the cup and the bread. And if there's anyone here that needs prayer as we close our eyes and bow our heads,